or Pentecost Sunday. Is anybody excited about Pentecost Sunday? It should be a celebration in the church. Amen? It's the day that God poured his spirit out and birthed the church. And it's a great day to celebrate what the Lord has done, isn't it? Amen? Amen. I want to begin with Matthew chapter 16, and then we're going to uh, go to the book of Acts. I want to talk to you today about what is a spirit-filled church. And when I use that term, I don't mean a specific denomination or group. I'm talking about a church that welcomes God's presence and power to move in their hearts and lives. They want, they, they want the Spirit of God in control of their lives. They want the Spirit of God in control of their services. Amen? That's what I'm talking about today. And that can happen in any denomination that preaches the word, that loves Jesus, that welcomes the Spirit. It can happen in any church where believers are gathered, whether it's a small group or a large group. It happens, and I want us to look and see what are the characteristics of that kind of a church. Because that's the kind of church I want to be. Amen? So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, familiar passage of Scripture. In verse 13, Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the pro- or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That is the most important question in life. There's not a question that's greater in significance than that question that Jesus asked. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a figure in history? Was he a teacher? Was he one of the prophets? Or is he the son of the living God, the risen Savior and Lord of your life? Verse 15 But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got an A plus on the test. Amen. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... He's talking about the rock of his declaration that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Then look what Jesus says. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Who builds his church? Jesus does. Does the pastor build the church? No. Do you build the church? Jesus builds the church. But he's chosen to do it through those hearts that are willing and open to him. Amen? Amen. So God does work through us, but he builds the church. You can build a church very, very many different ways. You can have programs. You can have 
this and that, and you can have this type of building and that type of building. You can have different kind of people that you're trying to reach out and have different programs. And I'm not saying programs aren't bad, but programs better come from Jesus, not your mind. Amen? Amen? Jesus spoke these words that he would build his church six months before he was eventually crucified in Jerusalem on Passover. And it was 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost, that's what it means, 50. Now the first three days, Jesus was in the tomb. Then he rose again. And we celebrate Easter, or I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. And for the next 40 days, Jesus spoke to the people about training them up and preparing them for the mission that he had for them. He had a mission for the church. He was giving them guidance. He was giving them direction. And then the time came for him to build his church. And we read in, in Luke 24, 49, what God called them to do. It's very simple what he called them to do. Listen to this. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That's the one thing that Jesus asked of the church, the disciples, the believers. Now think about that. He didn't tell them, I want you to go out and start missions in this area. He didn't say, I want you to build a church here. He didn't even tell them to go and start preaching the gospel. He said, this is the one thing he asked them to do. He said, tarry until you receive power from on high. Until you're clothed with power. The word there, endued, literally in the original language, means to be clothed with. They were to be clothed with divine power from God. Church, we cannot fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives aside from his empowerment. Because God wants to do supernatural things through your life. And you can't do supernatural things on your own. Are you with me? Amen. In Acts 1 and 8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want us to notice there, the reason for the power is to be a witness. I want to ask you, are you a witness for Jesus? Are you evidence for the case? Does your life shout to the world that Jesus is more than a teacher from the past, that he's more than an Old, Old Testament prophet, or he's more than just a good guy that had some good things to say? Does your life witness to the world that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah, the living Lord of all? Because that's what he's called us to do. And Patrick, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 
Bob, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Honey, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't be the witness God's called us to be to those around us, to our family and friends, to the, the, those that we they meet in the, in, the, in the everyday life and going on, in, whether it's in school or at our job. I, I was speaking with Michael and Karen yesterday, and one of the things I loved, Michael said, he talks about Jesus in his business all the time. He even prays for people in his business. The Holy Spirit shows him if someone is, is needing prayer and he'll try to maneuver the conversation to find out what they need prayer for and then he'll ask them, hey, can I pray for you? Church, that's being a witness for Jesus. That's, that's saying God has transformed my life and he wants to transform your life. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Now in Acts 1 and 8, the word there in the Greek is dunamis. And it's a Greek word that means to be abled by divine power. And it's translated about 20 times as miracle or miraculous or miraculous wonders. So it's not talking about our strength, our physical ability. It's talking about God's divine ability working in and through our lives. You shall be witnesses. Now what is recorded in Acts tells us that this kind of thing isn't just something that we read about in history and say, wow, I wonder what it would have been like to have been there. I want you to think about that. When you read the book of Acts, the New Testament, and see the miracles and the wonders that God did, do you think about Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Or do you take the attitude, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see people saved and healed and delivered. Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what you've told us. And then your heart prepares, Lord, do it in me. Work in my life. Work through my life. Have your way in me, Lord. Scripture actually tells us that the day of Pentecost wasn't the only outpouring of the Spirit. In fact, when Paul is writing the church at Ephesus, he says these words. He writes a letter to them in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. He says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation but be filled with the spirit and in the original language it literally reads keep on being filled with the spirit and we see that in the book of acts it wasn't a one-time experience from that time forward they, they went forward and they welcomed god's spirit to be poured out in their lives they recognized that they needed that strength and that ability, that divine power of God. And it wasn't just once in a while. I, in church, every day of my life, I say, Lord, give me a fresh Pentecost. Amen. Amen. I want fresh fire from heaven. I want a fresh touch from Jesus. Yes. Lord, I want your spirit to be poured out in my life every day. Yes. That's what Paul's talking about there. And as we look at these 
passages of Scripture here in Acts, I want us to see some characteristics of a Spirit-filled life and a Spirit-filled church. The first thing I want us to notice here, what happened at Pentecost happened, listen to this, because people allowed God to do what He wanted to do. Pentecost never would have happened if they had come into the upper room and said, God, we're only going to give you one day, about eight hours we'll give you, and we want it like this. How many of us fall into that trap? God, we're going to give you an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We're going to give you an hour on Wednesday. And Lord, I want it done like this. They came without an agenda. They came and they were waiting on God and saying, God, whatever you want to do in my life, you do it. That's the trait of a spirit-filled church. God, what you want, not what I want, not what the, the, the board wants, not what the worship team wants, not what the congregation wants. It's not about what we want. It's about coming into the presence of God and saying, Lord, here I am. Have your way in me. Have your way in our church. Lord, you do what you want to do in our lives. Look at verse 13, Acts chapter 1. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord. There's two things I want us to see there. First of all, they were obedient. Everybody say obedient. We just talked about being surrendered to God's will, what he wants to do. Now, now they're, they're showing it again in obedience. They obeyed what God had told them to do. Church, there's no shortcut to the power of God in your life unless you're going to walk the pathway of obedience. You can't pick and choose, and we live in a culture that is constantly trying to erode the Word of God. A culture that says, this isn't what uh, we want you to do. This, this is just a religious thing, a religious book. Don't, don't, we don't want to hear that. And church, if we're going to walk in the power of God, we have to be people that say, I'm going to live by the word of the living God. I'm, I'm not going to compromise God's word. I'm going to live my life according to what Jesus said, what God said through the prophets in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Lord, I'm going to take your word and I'm going to do my best to be obedient to you. A spirit-filled church will have that attitude. The next thing, they were in one accord. If you've heard me very long, you know I love this word. One accord. It, it, it means unity of mind. They were all thinking the same way. It's the Greek word homothumadon. I've said it many times. I love that Greek word, homothumadon. Because thumo is a part of that Greek word. It's a root word for that Greek word. And it means heat. Thumo, it's where we get the word 
uh, thermometer would be one of the words that we get from it. It talks about heat. And so it's saying, church, that it wasn't just they all came together in agreement saying, Lord, we want you to do whatever you want to do in our lives. Lord, we're going to wait upon you until we receive this power to be a witness. They were coming and it's saying not only mentally in agreement, but they were coming with hearts that were passionate. A spirit-filled church will have passion for God. They won't compromise. They'll say, Lord, I have a passion to draw closer and closer to you. Lord, I want what you want in my life. I want to be a church that's in unity but, and, and thinks the same way. But church, I want to be a church that's on fire, that has a passion for God, that they'll see that in our lives. The next thing, they were also a praying church. Everybody put your steel-toed shoes on. I had a pastor one time say, the greatest miracle of Pentecost was that the 120 were still there after seven days of prayer. Ouch, ouch. A spirit-filled church will be a praying church. They'll recognize the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Amen? They won't be people that shun away from opportunities to pray. They're looking for opportunities to pray. Church, I've said it many times, the most important service of the week is Sunday night in this house. You say, why is that, Pastor? Because it's all about prayer. It's all about worship and praise. It's all about coming and just waiting on the Lord, saying, Lord, have your way. Prayer. Prayer in your home. Prayer in your life personally. Prayer in our church turns things around. Amen? Well, I, when I first came to this church, there were less than 30 people here, and they were hurt and wounded. The church had gone through some difficult things. And I was so thrilled that they had a Sunday night. And I said, we're going to focus on prayer even more than you are. I said, the only thing that's going to turn this church around is prayer. Crying out to the Lord. It's got to be him. Amen? Why, why did, today do we have a good crowd? Because people were willing to come and set, and set aside time and pray, Lord, have your way in me. Have your way in our church. Jesus found the disciples asleep in the garden. He said, couldn't you at least come and pray an hour? It's something all of us struggle with. It's something that doesn't come easy for most of us. But church, it'll transform your life, and it's the characteristic of a spirit-filled life in church. Amen. Notice the verse says, Terry until, until. Jesus told them, you go and pray. They didn't know if it was going to be seven hours. They didn't know if it was going to be seven days. They didn't know if it was going to be seven weeks or seven months. 
They had no idea. Jesus didn't tell them how long that they were to meet there. But they went and they prayed and they prayed. They got, get, got together every day and they continued to pray. And church, that is a characteristic of a spirit-filled church. Now the preparation of this church was not simply the unity or the obedience or the passionate devotion, but it was also miraculous things took place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Note one thing here in verses 2 through 4. You cannot find biblical precedence for this. In other words, God in his creative majesty, had never manifested in this way to his people throughout history. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Because in our humanness, we're always wanting to put God into a box. And we say, you know, this is how God relates to me. This is how God works in my life. Imagine being there. All of a sudden you hear this roaring sound of wind, but the, the, the draperies weren't blowing. There wasn't any wind, it, but it was the sound of wind. In Texas, we'd say, get to the cellar, there's a tornado coming. How would you react? It drew people. Later on in, that, in the text, it says, that those that were hearing all this, it drew, the sound drew them to it. We don't know exactly why God chose to do this. It doesn't explain it. It also go, says in this passage there that uh, there appeared divided tongues as a fire. In other words, they were seeing into the spiritual realm. And fire came, and then tongues of fire split up, and then came upon each one of them. God had never manifested himself in that way. You will say, well, what about the fiery bush? Yeah, but that's not the same thing. Yes, wind and fire are associated with God in, in certain ways in the, in the Old Testament. But church, the point I'm trying to make is, a spirit-filled church trust God in his creativeness and says, Lord, again, again, do what you want to do in our lives. Manifest your presence and your power and your glory in the way that you want to manifest it. You say, Pastor, does that mean there's going to be a bunch of chaos and kookiness? No. Scripture is very plain. It says, do everything decently and in order. So I'm not talking about kookiness and, and, and craziness and weirdness. But I'm talking about being open and saying, God, you manifest your glory the way you want to manifest your glory in my life and in our church. Their preparation, after their preparation, followed the proclamation. 
The proclamation began very peculiar way and an unanticipated way again. As we just mentioned, uh, they were speaking in a language that they hadn't learned. Verse 4 there, the word that's used is apothegisai. And it means to sound forth. It doesn't mean they were yelling, but it means they were proclaiming. Like you would, like I am right now. I can't help it when I get, I don't even need a mic most of the time. I can proclaim. So they weren't yelling, but they were proclaiming. And what's interesting, notice exactly what they were proclaiming. In, in verses 5 through 13, we read that the, they were baffled. They were kind of confused. They didn't understand what was going on. And in verse 11, it tells us exactly what they were doing. It says, the Cretans and the Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, though, listen to this, the wonderful works of God. They were proclaiming how great and how awesome, how wonderful God is. They weren't preaching. They were praising and they were worshiping the Lord. And praise to the Father is another characteristic. Praise to Jesus. Praise to the Godhead. We praise them. We worship them. And I, I'm asked quite frequently, well, Pastor, your church is a little different. He's, I've had this numerous times. People will say, why do you sing so many songs? It's because it's not about singing songs. It's about speaking forth the wonderful works of God. It's about praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about giving him glory and honor and just coming into the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving and a heart that loves God and welcomes him. He says, well, some churches only sing three songs. I love Jesus more than three songs. In fact, in fact, church, I have been in services where I never got the opportunity to preach. And, and you know what? I wasn't disappointed. When the people come and they begin to talk about the marvelous, wonderful works of God and what he's done for them and what he's done for mankind and their hearts are just open to him and God comes and begins to move in the sanctuary, you don't care about anything else. You're not looking at your watch. You're not worried about how if the pastor's going to preach or not. You're coming and you're praising and worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's a characteristic. Another characteristic of a church that's spirit-filled. In verses 14 through 21, Peter begins to answer the question they ask, what does all this mean? And he goes and he quotes the prophet Joel in verse 14. Look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, 
raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. He's saying they're not drunk. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Hallelujah. <laughs> Peter's saying, this is the fulfillment of what was promised by the prophet Joel. God is fulfilling his promise to the church. That's what he's saying. He's saying the word of God is now coming alive and manifesting in the promise that was given all those years ago. Amen. Amen. Are you thankful for that? A spirit-filled church is a church where the word of God is not just, not just studied to take an objective analysis. And I know people that do that. They study the word of God so that they can come to the next Bible study and tell somebody what really went on. A spirit-filled church studies the Word of God because it's filled with promises for us today. It's filled with promises that, that tell us that what God did on the shores of Galilee, He can do again today when He says He healed the blinded eyes and opened them, opened the deaf ears, when He raised the dead. God can still do that today. A couple of years ago, I was in a store and I was talking to one of the guys behind the counter, and he was, I was asking him about church, you know, if he went to church anywhere. Yeah, I go to church. He said, I, I went to such and such church, but I left there because one Sunday the pastor got up in the pulpit, and the pastor said that God could still raise the dead. And I said, oh, really? You left the church because of that? I said, well, the Bible I read says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and nothing's impossible for our God. Amen. And I didn't, I didn't keep on, but he, he took a step back and started thinking. A spirit-filled church recognizes the Word of God isn't just to analyze and learn a few little lessons about how to be a good little boy and girl. It's about studying how God pours out his spirit in the lives of people that are open to it and says, Lord, you can do that in me. Lord, I want you to do whatever you want to do in my life. Fill me with that power. Let me be that witness. Peter makes it clear that the promise of the spirit of God being poured out in the lives of people wasn't just for this once instant. I love Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 39. I highlighted it. I doodle around it. I, it's just awesome in my Bible. <laughs> Why? What does it say, Pastor? For the promise is to you and to your children 
and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Every one of us are here today because God's called us. He's drawn us by His Spirit. He's called us in. I have a plan for your life. And the promise that they received isn't just to look at and say, wow, what an exciting time in Scripture and the disciples. What it would have been like to be in the upper room. That's not it. It's to say, Lord, give me an upper room experience. Pour your Spirit out in my life, Jesus. That's what I want. Finally, the the Spirit-filled church will glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus. (laughs) Amen? In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, this is going to be the final verses I'm going to look at. And it shall come to pass that whosoever, everybody say whosoever. God is inclusive. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that verse. That's the end of verse 21. It's it's saying there, most Bible scholars that read this and where it is in, in the prophetic passage on the last days, they believe that it's speaking of an end time revival. Because it's a great declaration. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And I pray that over our church, over our community, over our state. Lord, let the whosoevers cry out to Jesus. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. What, what is Peter saying as he stands up and preaches before the thousands of people? He's saying salvation is through Jesus. He's bringing it all back to Jesus. He's saying this was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus. Amen? A spirit-filled church will not compromise with the politically correct stance in the world, in our culture today that says all religions are the same. They're all just different sides of the same pyramid. And when you get to the end, they all meet together at the pointy top. That's not what God teaches. That's not the word of Jesus. And Peter here is making it clear. There's one way to be right with the Father. And we're never going to compromise that, church. It doesn't matter if they come in and haul me off and throw me into jail. Another pastor, another deacon, another elder, another lay leader. We're going to keep on filling the pulpit and telling people, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. That's the heart of a spirit-filled church. You don't compromise. It's all about Jesus. 
It's not about a pastor. It's not about a denomination. I thank God for the Assemblies of God. That's the fellowship that we're in. We're an independent church, but we're part of that fellowship. And I, I've been a part of that fellowship. This is, I'm a third generation. My dad was with the Assemblies. My grandfathers were both with the Assemblies. But you know what, church? It's not about the Assemblies. That's why I don't have it plastered everywhere on the billboard. It's about Jesus. We're a family. We're the Summit family that comes together, and it's all about Jesus. Amen? It's not about the worship team. It's not about the programs. It's all about Jesus. Say it with me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He transforms your heart. He transforms your life. Nothing else will transform your life except for Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be a spirit-filled church. I want to be a church that, where God's allowed to do what God desires to do. I want to be an obedient church. I want to be unified with passion. I want to be a praying church. I want to be a church that proclaims the wonderful works of God in praise and worship. I want to be a church where the word of God is alive in me and alive in you. I want to be a church where the name of Jesus Christ is always glorified. And that's what being a spirit-filled church is about. And I want you to join me and say, Lord, that's my heart and my prayer. I want the worship team to come. And I want them to begin to lead us. And I just want to invite you today. We're a church that prays. A lot of churches, they just say a quick little prayer and dismiss everybody. We have a prayer team because we believe in praying one for another. We believe in, in where Jesus said in his word, where any two agree as touching anything on earth, whatsoever they shall ask of the Father in heaven, it shall be done. That's why we pray. 